eutrangelization where lies and falsehoods are trapped, exposed, and exploded. Welcome to the new eutrangelization. <laughs> We're your hosts, Kevin and Jacob, and we are back in the garage, smoking yeah. the two classiest pipes. Well, they're not exactly the normal classiest pipes, but they're pretty classy still. This is you. Oh, yeah. Felicitas and... August, Augustine and Felicitas. Well, I'm supposed to say the one that I have. Mine is Felicitas. And Augustine. <laughs> Our aim is to promote the new triangelization, the TNT, so that it can become truly dynamic and... Be, be on, on the, the verge of exploding! And it feels so good saying that again. I know. <laughs> so, um, today what we're going to talk about is <clears throat> um, Soka. Um, Souls of the Christian Apostolate, and the book Soul of the Apostolate by, I believe his name is Dom Chotard, um, um, and this is a very important book, very relevant to anyone who wants to evangelize, um, and we've spoken a number of times about evangelization on this podcast, um, but um, I think it's It's almost like evangelization is integral to our name. Almost. (laughs) Um, But um, it's very important because, for example, for Jacob at a university campus, um, it's important to know what evangelization looks like, how to do it, and how to do it with um, a truly Catholic spirit um, and in a very actually fruitful way. Um, do you have any thoughts, initial thoughts on that, Jacob? Yeah, initially, especially on a college campus, there's very much a temptation to think, I'm going to church, I'm great. I'm going to Sunday Mass, I'm fantastic. And maybe I'm not doing the really bad mortal sins. Um, and you're, you're making your parents happy and you're already in the top 5% by doing that. Maybe top 1% for your age group. Um, and so there's definitely a temptation to... To think you're good, once you get to college, you're going to mass, then you just go start reeling people in because you already made it. And that's that's been a, that had, that was a very big temptation for me freshman year. And, and I, I totally believed it too. And so there's definitely very much, especially on a college campus, uh, a secular college campus, uh, it brings up the question of being in the world but not of the world and meeting people where they're at and how to actually understand that without it, it without interpreting it as just be Buddhist. <laughs> um, <laughs> I once had a friend say that. He said, yeah, I love the phrase meet, meet people where they're at when it's used in the proper context, but most of the time when people say it, it just means be Buddhist. <laughs> for the record, we do not have any kind of script for... This podcast, nor really any of them. So, just if you hear any comments, like just know that these are this is authentic Jacob. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but what you're saying, you know, someone once told me um, when they were in college, um, uh, they they thought, well, I'm I'm doing I'm in a, I'm leading a Bible study and I'm in discipleship, so I've made it. Oh boy, that's the ninth <laughs> level of uh, ninth level of prayer by Saint Teresa of Avila. Um, Once you get to the the unitive stage, there are the last three levels, and that's the simple use, simple union, conforming union, and leading a Bible study and discipleship. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and was that me? I was trying to hide your reputation. 
I was trying to be a good friend uh, and hide, hide the reputation there. And I was just trying to be humble because I was just trying to disguise that I was actually in the transformative union. I'm just trying to <laughs> downplay my spiritual advancement. <laughs> oh, I've missed Nebraska. Never thought I'd say that. Um, so, um, the book you were talking about, the, yeah. uh, why is it slipping my mind? Soul of the Christian Apostolate. Soul, Souls of the Apostolate. Sorry, Soul of the Apostolate. And that's by a Benedictine monk? It was by a Trappist. A so Trappist. Trappists come from the Benedictines, but they're kind of a reform of the Benedictines. Yeah, my experience with that book, I've, I've never read it, so I can't comment too much. I'm not going to be one of my... I have a lot of friends that do this. They're just like, this is the greatest book of all time. Have you read it? No, but it's amazing. I, ha- I have another friend who loves it. <laughs> And so I have friends who recommend books that they've never read and they rave about it because someone else raves about it that they trust. So I'm not going to do that. Well, um, but you can. You guys can rave about these books all you want. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you trust us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no. But I have heard a lot of great things about it. Um, I once kind of had a mental joke that I only kept to myself because it probably wouldn't have been funny to anybody else that um, if you've met a focused missionary and gotten to know them to any degree you would have heard about the book souls of the apostolate or soul of the apostolate because um i, I think it's integral into into focus's training I, I don't know about your experience with it but i know of a lot of focused missionaries who are really into uh into that book yeah well um regardless of that their formation um my experience has been that a lot of people who are in ministry lay people who are in ministry do not either do not know about this book or do not practice it, um, be, and it's rather sad, um, and um, and it's very important when you're trying to evangelize um, because well so here's what the book the premise of the book is okay whenever you're doing evangelization and apostolic work um, the the most important thing to remember is your own spiritual life. Um, the most important thing is your own spiritual life, as well as having the very direct intention to foster a deep spiritual life in others. That should be your primary aim as far as activity goes, trying to promote a deep spiritual life in a few others. So the method of do having a fruitful apostolate is not, he compares... Um, the form of apostolate where you try to have a very enticing um, persona um, or environment that is, you know, very fun or whatever, and you spend a lot of money to do all of that, versus simply having gatherings that could be simple and you can have, you know, not very costly recreation um, that's rooted in a few people who have a really deep spiritual life. And if you do that, then it's going to organically grow. Um, others, a few, are going to turn into more and more and more if they have a deep spiritual life. If they have a true, if they're working toward union with God in their soul. Um, and, and, I, and, and so there's, there, there's a lot that could be said there. So, Jacob, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I want to clear up, potentially clear up a, a, mis, a miscommunication or uh, make a disclaimer here. This doesn't just, or am I correct in saying in, uh, in this doesn't just mean that we evangelize to people who already have deep spiritual lives? Or are you, are you saying that the people that we evangelize to are people that are showing 
that they are willing to be very committed to having a deep spiritual life. Can you comment yeah. on that? It's the second one. Okay. Um, Dom Chotard speaks or writes about how it's more valuable to, quote unquote, or, I mean, you could, our lingo would be invest deeply in those few who are willing to go very deep um, rather than say, oh, that person's good enough and now I'm going to move on and just kind of let them be where they're at. They've made it. Um, and so what you, you look for is, and, 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 it's, and it's worth it to set a very high bar, um, even at the exclusion of many people um, in your quote-unquote target audience, for those few who are, who are willing and docile to go very far and to be very on fire and to really work towards sainthood. Um, and so, so it is more, it, he would say, that targeting those who are willing to go very far. Now, there could be people at the beginning stages who are very zealous. They're at the beginning, though. Those would be worth it if you can tell like they really have that fire. Um, they want to go there um, versus someone who's like, you could say, you know, they're more practicing than that other person, but they're not really ready to, they don't want to run. Yeah, uh, a comment on that. I know that one of the, one of the most enticing reasons to evangelize is because of the emotional reward that you, that one gets. And so when they see, yes, I brought 40 people to mass today, that's a very emotionally rewarding thing as opposed to just going, I brought one person to mass today and I've been working with them deeply and I've introduced them to mental prayer and they've been practicing it regularly and we've been working on this for a year. That's not as emo- immediately anyway emotionally rewarding. And I I think, and I, I've been thinking a lot about this because I work at a job where I get to think for eight straight hours with no distractions. Um, and does that mean that we are sacrificing numbers, that we're sacrificing effectivity to evangelize and transmit the gospel for depth. And I don't think that's the case. I think ultimately what's happening is instead of planting a flower bed where we plant a hundred seeds, we're planting a tree that we're not going to rest in the shade of because it's not going to be big enough for us. Uh, By the time we die, it's not going to be big enough for us to rest in the shade. And so there's a, a quote that I heard that I'm referring to that's saying, a truly virtuous man is somebody who plants a tree knowing that he will never be able to rest in the shade of that tree. Um, and I can definitely I can definitely see that because if we invest in quite a few people but not very deeply, we might be under the impression that that's going to leave more of an impact, um, especially when it comes to evangelization and transmitting the faith. But I, over time, have become more and more convinced that planting three or four very solid trees that are that will eventually over the course of plenty of time as long as they do the same thing is going to be a lot more effective because they're going to be impossible to uproot whereas it takes a simple tiller to remove a flower bed in two minutes yeah and so what i want to now go on a go on a um very more deep conversation work toward a very deep conversation about what those solid trees are. What are we talking about? Well, what is, we're really talking about what does it mean to have an interior life? You know, I've had um, discussions with people about 
what does evangelization look like? And I think some people have the understanding that it's just a matter of, um, well, they either need to become Catholic or they need to just, like, have the spark and, like, all of a sudden then they're good. Um, really, I mean, it could be almost associated with feelings. But that's not, I don't, that's not a Catholic outlook. Really, I think evangelization should be seen in the context of um, salvation of souls and sainthood. Um, forming saints. Um, I think that's probably a better way to look at it because then you can see, you know, the investment in someone who's already, quote-unquote, made it in in terms of, you know, they're they're convinced of being Catholic. But you can see why that's actually very valuable to continue investing in them if they're willing to grow. Um, And so the question is, what is really the interior life? Well, we have to, that's what, that's, I think, what's very well, very much not understood today among the, these ministers um, and, and missionaries and, and all that um, is the interior life is not well understood as far as um, what is the depth of it, how far can you go, what does it require, and what are I mean even even the understanding that there are different stages in the spiritual life. I mean really like that there's you know this is church tradition that there are different stages. Um, so, so I'll jump into that. What is the interior life? Well, the interior life is really the life of the soul, the life of grace in the soul. So what is the life of grace? Well, grace, we, we get the life of grace um, through our baptism. We participate in the life of the Trinity through our baptism. And so we say it's a state of grace when we are living habitually in that. Um, it's thanks be to God, but we haven't done something to break that off um, through mortal sin. This is where Catholic theology is really beautiful if we understand the depth, depth of this. Um, so what does that interior life consist of? Well, or how do we access it? Well, especially in the beginning stages, to really start living more and more in tune with this life of grace, with the life of the Trinity, who, who dwells in our soul, we have to go to prayer. We have to go to mental prayer. Um, where we aim to come in direct contact with God who is in our soul already. This is the substance of the teaching of St. Teresa of Avila on prayer. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is already in our soul. Um, And we don't have to go far places. We don't have to search with many reasonings and imaginations to find Christ in our soul. Um, He's there. And so mental prayer, the end of that is to come into this presence and this, as St. Teresa of Avila calls it, an intimate um, conversation with a friend we know who loves us in our soul. Um, That's Jesus Christ. And he's our Lord too. So we revere him. Um, But our search is not only merely for personal relationship, which a lot of people say, but it's for union, which is something even more intimate than a relationship. Because in a relationship, you know, it's it's almost like it's this conversation, but that, that can be disconnected, like, okay, we're in a, we have a relationship, it's when we talk to each other and the rest of everything I'm doing can be disconnected from that, it can feel that way. Whereas with God, it's directed toward union. So everything we do and all our actions, our virtues, is all in relation to this union with God and we can break that off through um, mortal sin and we can um, diminish it and hurt it through venial sin uh, and imperfections. So, um, the question, so to answer the question, what is the interior life that we're speaking of, it's developing this this life of grace, particularly through mental prayer. Yeah, so would you want to comment on the three stages of the interior life? This is honestly 
uh, at the time when I had first found out about this, was one of the most effective things for helping me in my spiritual life, was knowing that there are stages of the interior life, and knowing that I, I now have a road map to my salvation, I now have a road map to divine union, I can now know what to do. Um, yeah, do, do you want to comment on that, and we can start a conversation up on that? Yeah, so I don't want to talk too much about the stages, because most of it is... It's all focused on just the first stage at the point we're talking about. But so the three stages of the interior life, generally speaking, are the purgative stage, the illuminative stage, and the unitive stage. Um, the purgative stage is when you're being purged of sin and imperfections, or yeah, purged of sin. Um, illuminative stage is when God starts to sort of infuse himself through faith. Um, and then unitive state is living in like total unity with God um, in a very spiritual sense. Um, so the purgative, I just want to, what we're just going to focus on is really the purgative stage with the understanding that there are these two other stages to get to that um, should inspire us to realize we have a lot of room to grow. Um, not to discourage us, but to say, to really motivate us, you know, our death is imminent. We don't know when we're going to die. It could be any time. Um, and what our primary goal in this life should be is to work toward the highest, highest stage of the unitive stage. These stages are broken up into different stages. We don't have to talk about all that right now, but to aim for the highest level possible. That should be our goal in life. And if that really is, then we're going to take this very seriously and realize, well, we need, we, we have a lot of work to go. So, um, Starting with the purgative stage, what's really important, I think, for a lot of people to realize is most people have not even started in the purgative stage. Most Catholics have not started in the purgative stage because the purgative stage begins with the end of mortal sin. Okay, it begins with the end of mortal sin, of habitual mortal sin. And uh, this is what St. Teresa of Avila talks about. So in order to... Um, but here's here's the kicker of why mental prayer is so important, why the soul of the apostle is so important. Because if we're talking about the salvation of souls, you have to be in a state of grace, as we just spoke about. Um, because it, at, at the very least, be in the state of grace. Um, and when we commit a moral sin, we disconnect ourselves from that. So that can lead us to hell. Um, and so, the, but the question is, how do we? We're not. We're weak and um, and. Thomas, St. Thomas Aquinas would say that by our nature, man cannot live without committing mortal sin eventually without grace. We have to have grace. So here's why mental prayer is so important, is that it is when, that is when we come face to face with the life of grace. We go and we face God. And as St. Alphonsus Liguri says, um, man cannot, you can't go to mental prayer, anyone who who habitually does mental prayer will stop committing mortal sin because um, you'll realize the gravity of mortal sin. And when you go to mental prayer, you won't be able to go to prayer without, without coming and realizing, wow, I've done something very bad and becoming contrite to the point of going to repent. So this is why mental prayer is so important to start in unison with trying to live a virtuous life. Yeah, that reminds me of the classical definition that Father Ripperger always talks about. Uh, sponsor us, Father Ripperger. <laughs> um, is he talks about how uh, how grace 
involves the two primary faculties of the soul, the intellect and the will. It enlightens our intellect and strengthens our will. And that's something that I think, um, you were just talking about Teresa of Avila and Alfonso de Gori. I've seen them um, write about some stuff pertaining to this, about how, like you were saying, if you do mental prayer every day and you're very devoted to mental prayer, you're not going to mortally sin because you are being directly plugged into a very like the most direct stream of grace, and that's Christ in your soul. That's accessing that through, yeah, through praying to Him and being open to Him. Um, and so, what's that going to do? That's going to enlighten your intellect. That's going to allow you to see uh, your mortal sins. That's going to allow you to see your imperfections more, and it's going to strengthen the will. So it doesn't just allow you to see the mortal sins more or your imperfections more, but it actually gives your will a whole new strength to to be able to combat those um, even though you are going to be able to identify more imperfections right um and so so that's that's the start okay you start by cutting on a mortal sin and starting mental prayer 15 minutes a day even um you can start with now i recommend 30 minutes a day at least once you really get going in my opinion others would probably say different things, but that's my opinion. Um, but at least 15 minutes, start with 15 minutes. Um, now, now that's, that's another discussion of mental prayer. What I want to get to is how this all ties into soul of the apostolate. Well, for anyone who's going to do an apostolate, they need to be in union with God, or they need to have this life of grace, right? They need to really, and, and, and the more they do that, the more grace is going to abound in, um, in, in cultivating fervor in those in that target audience that one is trying to reach and evangelize in the apostolate. Um, and furthermore, um, one is strengthened and given fire and energy and, 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 and one can operate with the gifts of the Holy Ghost in order to evangelize more properly. Now, the gifts of the Holy Ghost is another discussion, but basically... It, this is how, through baptism, we all have the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and they they just become more and more, less and less latent, more and more actualized. Um, the more we become in tune with the life of grace, and we follow, the gifts of the Holy Ghost are kind of like sails that we can then receive the inspirations, the, the, the wind of the Holy Ghost that inspires us, that push us to do these, this or that action, or this or that thought, or whatever, um, that leads us to greater holiness and salvation, and can also inspire us to do good for others and help save other souls. Okay, so would you uh, would you agree with the statement that your ministry is directly proportionate to the depth of your spiritual life? Generally speaking. I mean, not necessarily... Because, you know, there are, there, there are saints who, you know, sometimes there's the cross of you're, you're maybe you're not necessarily doing anything wrong and you could be in really high states of prayer and people are just not um, listening. I mean, even Christ said in his, in his, own, his, own, um, his own town, he was not welcome, you know, and so his ministry, that doesn't mean Christ wasn't praying enough. Of course, that'd be blasphemous. Yeah. But, he it it's so it's not just it's not I, I would hesitate to make it that blanket of a statement, but I would say I would say this that always 
and a postulate is better when there are people who are really deep and advanced in the spiritual life rather than perhaps more people who are involved but who are teetering on even starting the purgative stage. Um, that's what I would say. Okay. Yeah, because even from a natural standpoint, I know that whenever I spend time around obviously very holy people, it affects me deeply. Even if they don't tell me anything very profound or whatever, just by virtue of the fact that they're really holy, it just changes everything. I actually just talked to a priest this last week who spent a couple hours at the Carmelite Monastery uh, near here in Lincoln, and he said when he was driving away, he said that uh, that was just the happiest place on earth. He said that he was driving away feeling like he had just gotten finished swimming with dolphins, is his word choice. Um, but there really is something, um, from a natural standpoint, generally speaking about when you spend time around very holy people, you just get it, and it's hard to explain to other people what the effect of a holy person can do on on another person, even if they're not saying anything necessarily profound. It's just the fact that they're holy, they're well-composed, you can tell they have virtue, etc. Yeah. So, um, when we look at the apostolate, um, the goal should, one, one needs to take care of one's own soul and salvation, but then two, um, look to find a few people who dive deep into this. And I've seen it when you find those people and they, they dive really deep, then they naturally, organically will evangelize others because it becomes a part of their psyche. It becomes a part of how they're thinking. And what do we, what do we talk about? We talk about the things we think about. And so they talk about these things with others in their workplace, with their family, with their friends, organically. And so grace builds on nature. Well, that might be an exaggeration to use this, that phrase here, but you get the picture. Um, and, and so this is very, very, very important for people to recognize because if we really want to save souls, we have to have this sense of gravitas, gravitas, uh, gravity of what is important, why is this important? It's because we're talking about souls, salvation, eternity, and true, true sanctification. Dang, I can't, I can't top that, or even come close to that level. Okay, Kevin, so I'd like to offer an analogy, see what you think about it. Um, it definitely takes a lot more time to light a thickly, or a thick and dense log. Um, it takes a lot more time, but once you get it lit, it's going to be smoldering, and it's going to be very hot, and it's going to be unshakable. If you have a smoldering log, a little bit of wind isn't going to affect it at all. Um, and if you get five smoldering logs that you spend a lot of time getting getting those smoldering, that you put anything near it, it's going to start on fire. It's just, it's necessarily, not, this is where the analogy breaks down, but it's going to be very conducive to the lighting of other things and, and transmitting the faith more, more effectively. More heat as opposed to a quicker transmission of the flame. Um, as opposed to just lighting a grass fire with 200 grades of blades of grass. It goes up, it goes down. And I think that immediately makes me think of the, the parable of the sower and the seed. Um, because I, I very frequently think about the rocky soil and how frequently I see that, about how 
people will spring up, they'll get really excited, they don't have roots, and they fall away. Do you think that um, investing in many people could lead to... Uh, it, for example, if you're trying to appeal to a large mass of people, you're probably not going to be appealing, unless you're a very, very good speaker and very holy, you're probably probably not going to be appealing very effectively to their to their deepest self. A lot of times you're probably going to be appealing to their base emotions, their base appetites, and you won't be able to follow up with them because there's no way you can regularly follow up with 200, 300 people and really mention them closely. Do you think that that could be analogous to the sow in the seed, rocky soil, springing up really quickly? If you're appealing to a large group of people, you're going to kind of concede on the depth and hit more on the, on the base appetites to get people in. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, on the one hand... Yeah, what you're saying, uh, there's two, two things I want to talk about, the sermon aspect and then what is actually fertile ground. Um, so first, the sermon. On the one hand, I agree that in many cases that there, there's more of an appeal to more external, less truly divinely intimate aspects of the soul in sermons. Um, on the other hand, um, there is you know the understanding of how sermons can speak to us and grace can, you know, guide people to hear things through sermons and help them understand things and themselves and others better through the, the word. Um, so yes and no to that. Um, now, but I think a bigger, more important question regarding what you're saying is what is fertile soil? Um, and, um, and what is that? What does that truly look like for a grain to fall and for it to really flourish? Um, well, I think to, I'll first address a misconception. I think that's out there today. Um, I think that people the misconception is that people in these ministries that I've seen often and often in both in a lot of cases. They think that, yeah, they would agree, yeah, it's all about the fertile soil, the depth, rather than, you know, the numbers and all of that. I, I think that there really is still a grave, uh, I would say grave misunderstanding of what this means, of what true depth really means. Um, and, and really, it's the difference between what we have talked about so far of understanding, we're talking about the tip of the iceberg of the spiritual life, cutting out mortal sin basically entirely. That's literally like the start. Um, whereas people think, I think in a lot of these ministries, like as long as people are like only committing mortal sin sometimes, then like it's all good. Um, you know, like, I mean, like in one sense, yes, if people are progressing and they're going to confession and all that, but sometimes when you lower the standard that much, it does make it more base. And you and you've lowered standard too much that you've made the it, the faith can become watered down and you don't understand that that it really does have gravity, and so what I would want to emphasize there is really what is fertile ground. Well, it's saying it's not saying you're a mess and you're okay. That's pop psychology. I had a pre, heard a priest say that once uh, recently, like from the pulpit. He was like, "There's these seminarians and they come to me and." And they, they've just been told all this garbage about how they're just a mess and it's all okay. And he's like, no, that just leads to them becoming wussies. 
He said this from the pulpit <laughs> to nuns. <laughs> um, it's like, no, I believe in virtues. And he's right. It's virtues. That's what we should be looking at. And so, yeah, we have these faults. We have these faults. We are original sin is reality. Recognizing that the gravity of original sin and that we have to progress. We have a lot of room to progress, but that's good news. That is truly the gospel. That we have grace to progress. And this is how we come in contact with that grace. And, and so I think we recognize just the gravity of our whole situation of death, judgment, heaven, hell. What are the consequences now? We have, we have original sin, but we also have baptism. We have our Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose from the dead. And His grace is in our soul to transform us, to literally transform us to be in union with Him. That's the perspective we need to be taking with all of this. And, and, and that should be the intensity we bring to our conversations with one another in striving to not just live a comfortable life and like, oh, and you can also be Catholic, um, but really saying, I, I want to become a saint, and I have all these imperfections, and my standard is not minimalism um, of, well, you know, what's, the, what's literally I can eat up to this very point um, before I receive the Eucharist. Like, I'm going to have the biggest meal, and technically I have right up until this very minute, because then it's about an hour before I'll receive communion. Like, why, are, why is that our standard? Why is a minimum our standard when we can really look at, well, what would the saints do? Well, the saints fasted a ton before they had the Eucharist. So, like, why don't we start working towards standards like that? I once read an article that is, is right on with that principle. And it was a chastity article talking about uh, how far is too far. And people are just like, okay, or the person that was writing this was saying, okay, you came to the wrong place because I'm going to school you now. Because <laughs> if you're asking how far is too far, you're just saying how far is it? Uh, how far, or where's the sin, where's the line for mortal sin? Because anything up to the line of mortal sin, fair game. Venial sin, heck yeah. Cost-benefit analysis, it, it, that's what this guy was saying. It's like, with a cost-benefit of analysis, most of you would probably say, Yes, if it's a if it's just a venial sin, it's a green light, and I, I think that really speaks into what you're saying about um, there there needs to be so much more than just an avoiding of mortal sin, just avoiding mortal sin, and just meeting the precepts of the church because that's one thing that we hear a lot is okay, don't mortally sin, meet the precepts of the church, not even meet the precepts of the church, go to mass on Sunday because that's kind of the standard of of a practicing Catholic because you see. Being in a college environment, especially, and this pertains to both Kevin and, and myself quite a bit. <clears throat> what what do parents what do parents really hope for when their kids go to college? They they hope that their kids go to mass on Sunday, and if their kids go to mass on Sunday, they have good kids. And the pe their those parents friends tell them that they have good kids because their kids go to mass on Sundays. And if their kids don't go to mass on Sundays, oh well, shoot, we'll see if you can bring my son to mass on Sundays, and that's a standard. I, I have been told many times that I am like the standard because I go to Mass on Sundays. And the thing is, is that, I mean, God bless them, but the generation that raised our generation, that was their standard. It was minimalism. I mean, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm just being honest. And so, and a lot of it, they were, I mean, it's, a lot of it's on the, the clergy. Like, let's be honest, the clergy wasn't, um, was, was not forming our, their generation, you know, I've heard from from them that um, that you know their their catechism was sit around in like kumbaya style and say, "What do you think about Jesus?" Um, and and like, where where's the formation here? That's that's so that's why I want to get at fertile soil. 
And what, what does this mean to really flourish, the grain to flourish? Well, it needs to be formed deeply. And especially in our cultural context, you know, a lot of people are not catechized. Read the Baltimore Catechism and read about mental prayer and then have accountability for it. That's what I think really soul of the apostolate, souls of the Christian apostolate is all about, is this account, is recognizing how mental prayers really should be at the heart of our very love, our life. It should be the most important thing. It is the most important thing, whether we recognize it or not. And we should, and we should cultivate this recollection that this is the most important thing. The one thing necessary is Jesus Christ. And he said that. Jesus said that himself. The one thing necessary. Um, yeah, speaking into to what you were saying, uh, I know that it can be kind of discouraging. And I think um, what Kevin was talking about there, when, when he was talking about, well, that's the, we're, we're held to that standard because that's the standard our parents were held at. Or our parents are held to that standard because that's the standard that the clergy gave. That can be a very discouraging thing is because I know that when I hear stuff like that, I can very much relate because, um, like not to say that my parents didn't, didn't push me or to say that my parents didn't form me well because I do think my parents did a good job. I, um, I just know that I think that a lot of people can relate to that in the sense that they, they hear stuff like this, they don't know where to turn. That, that's a really hard thing. A lot of people say that. I don't really know where to turn. I want to start living a, a truly Catholic life. Where, where do I turn? And it can be a discouraging thing. And so, um, and that definitely speaks into it is the Baltimore Catechism, finding a, a good catechism, like the Baltimore Catechism, um, books on mental prayer. Uh, I'm currently slowly working through a conversation with Christ by Father Rohrbach. That's an exceptional, exceptional book. Uh, do you have any more recommendations? Because I, I've heard from many people that they they will hear or they will be discouraged because they, they hear that they should really find good resources, but they have no idea where to turn. What kind of resources do you think are, are uh, effective for people in situations like that? Um, well, find a good priest to ask. Um, but I, I mean, I, honestly, I'll be honest, I don't. I don't think there are many priests out there that are good resources to actually do to cultivate an interior life. And I'm not, and I'm I'm talking even in the traditional world. Like a lot of them just don't do it. Why why do they not? It's 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 really like I mean I'm I'm calling out like a lot of people out there like why are we not talking about this? This is the most important thing. This is what it's all about. Um so so yeah, resources um and I'm not saying by any means I'm perfect. I have many many flaws, but this is just something observation I've had, and I've heard other people um, observe exactly the same thing, and um, it's a tragedy, really, because it's for souls. So I'd recommend the Baltimore Catechism, Conversation with Christ, um, as well as um, the Three Conversions of the Interior Life by Father Garigou Lagrange, <clears throat> and the and then if you're doing apostolic work. Um, I would encourage reading very um, meditatively the book Soul of the Apostolate. Uh, and all of those can be found on the internet. <clears throat> so no excuses there. Well, all, yeah, that is kind of sad. You can find almost any spiritual classic for free on the internet just because there's so low of a demand for it. But anyway, I also have found that Introduction to the Devout Life has also been a very helpful one for me. It's not helpful for everyone. I found it to be helpful when I first... Um, needed an introduction and yeah. I'm still needing an introduction actually um, yeah well I, I want to uh, bring in a quote so this is more concerning like those doing an apostolate what is what is the standard this is a quote from souls from soul of the apostolate 
um, written about 100 years ago, um, a little over 100 years ago, and Pope, Paul, Pope Pius X said that he highly recommended it, this book, and it was his bedstand reading, I believe he said. Um, oh. Okay, so the quote is, Take my advice, do not be afraid to aim as highly as you possibly can, and you will be astonished at the results. Let me explain. Do not merely have as your ideal to give the youth a selection of clean amusements that will turn them aside from illicit pleasures and dangerous associations, nor simply to give them a Christian varnish through routine attendance at Mass or the reception of the sacraments at long intervals and with questionable dispositions. Launch out into the deep. Let your ambition be, first of all, the noble one of making a certain number of them at any cost take the firm resolution of living as fervent Christians, that is, of making their mental prayer every morning, going to Mass every day, if they can, and doing a little spiritual reading, besides going frequently to communion and fervently too. Put all your efforts into giving this select group a great love for Jesus Christ, the spirit of self-denial, prayer, vigilance over themselves, in a word, solid virtues, and take no less trouble to develop in their souls a hunger for the Holy Eucharist, and then stir up these young men to act upon their companions. Train them as frank, devoted apostles, kind, ardent, manly, not narrow-minded in their piety, full of tact, and never making the sad mistake of spying on their comrades under pretext of zeal. Before two years have gone by, come and tell me whether you still need a lot of brass or stage sets to catch your fish. Shall I open the doors to all comers right from the start, I asked him. Numbers will, do, will be no use to you unless everyone is hand-picked. Let the growth of your club depend most of all on the influence exercised by the nucleus of apostles, the center of which will be Jesus and Mary, with you as their instrument. If you know how to build your club on the foundation of an ardent, complete and apostolic Christian life, the barest minimum in the way of premises will always be enough to accommodate all the accessories demanded by the normal functioning of the club. Don't worry, you will soon find out that noise does not do much good, and that what is good doesn't make much noise. And you will see that a good clear understanding of the gospel will cut down your expenses and far from hurting your excess, your success will promote it. But above all, you will have to pay the price yourself, not so much by wearing yourself out rehearsing plays or setting up football games, as by storing up in yourself the life of prayer. For you can be sure that the extent to which you yourself are able to live on the love of our Lord will be the exact measure of your ability to stir it up in other people. What it all comes to, then, is that you base everything on the inner life. Yes, absolutely. That way, you don't merely get an alloy, but pure gold. Besides, speaking from long experience, I know you can apply what I have just said about youth clubs to any kind of work. How much, a good, how, much, how much good a Christian society really living on the supernatural level can do in a city. It works there like a strong leaven, and only the angels can tell you how many souls are saved because of it. End quote. <clears throat> 